The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. This is really special. There's something that is always uh, just overwhelming and moving about standing here with my family uh, whenever we've had the privilege of serving a church, there's just, there's, there's nothing like this moment going, Lord, we're yours. And there's, there's a ton of excitement, but I, I think I'd be remiss if we, if we made this day anything about me. This has nothing to do with me. This is about what God wants to do in us and in this community, in and through us for this community. And so uh, I'd like us to start by praying, just so we remember this isn't about about me today. So if you would just join me, I want to pray for, I know the elders just prayed over me, but I'd like us to pray for our community. So Father God, we, we thank you that you are such a good and holy and gracious God, that you love us so deeply, that you're moving in us in ways we see and ways we can't see, that you're doing things through us that we see and can't see. Lord, the fact that you have called us to you despite our junk, despite the ways that we still fail to believe in you, despite the ways we still fail to to trust you, you you continually draw us close to you and we are overwhelmed by your grace, by your mercy. Father, our hearts break for this community. We pray right now that, that the city of Burbank or the city of Granada Hills, the valley, Lord, and Los Angeles as a whole would be, Lord, awakened to what you wanna do we pray that we would get to play a small part in that, that we would get to model what it looks like to truly love our community, to truly love your people, those who know you and those who are yet to know you. And so Lord, continue to break our hearts for this community. Help us to find ways to meet the needs socially and spiritually and economically and emotionally that you, Lord, who are, are, are such a holistic God would, would come in and, and allow us to Again, model you in those ways, in those areas, to bring healthy relationships with you and with the people around us. In other words, Lord, help us to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we give this time to you. We surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In case you missed it, my name is Jared Ostelier, and I am one of the pastors here. At Story City, that is an exciting thing to say. I'm super excited to be a part of this. I'm personally excited to serve you as we learn how to love our community together. And God is going to do some amazing things even in this difficult time. But <clears throat> as we move forward, I, I want us to begin to have um, other people than just my voice up here. What you might notice is, uh, is I, I won't preach every, other, every Sunday. Um, there's other voices. In fact, um, obviously we have an amazing bench of guys who are up and coming. We have guys who are established. Tyler is a great preacher. We're going to continue to have him preach, even though we're sharing everything right now. Um, you'll see that. But this is also a place for guys to learn. We are a church that is a church planting church. That's important to us to raise up church planters and to send pastors out. And so I'm actually excited this morning. There are uh, three church planters who have come this morning, and uh, this was not a part of their plan or my plan, but if, if uh, you three would stand, you know who you are. Would you stand up for just a moment so we can appreciate you? Daniel, Tahaj, Sam. Yeah, let's love on these guys for a minute. 
For those of you at home, we have three. You guys can be seated. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, the doggies went in on it too. We have three young men here who, um, who are sacrificing, who are giving up a ton, who are, are saying, Lord, I'm laying everything on the line so that I can see their, their respective cities changed and ultimately the greater city of Los Angeles changed. And so uh, these are men that we as a, as a church are, are supporting in different ways, are loving on, are, are coming alongside. And so I just want you to know that this is our commitment to continue the, the vision that Matt and Tyler had when they came out here was to be a church planning church. We're seeing it in a real practical way by seeing these men here today. That's an exciting thing. We're going to get into our scripture. Over the next number of weeks, we'll be going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as I was praying about what God wanted us to, to hear from him, I really felt like this was the most perfect timing for us to explore really what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to get into that. Today is going to be an intro to that. And, and what I mean by that is that um, we're going to get deeper into the sermon. But today, what I want us to do is orient our hearts. In the same way that when we come to prayer, we have to orient our hearts to prayer. When we come to scripture, before we read, we have to make sure that we're in the right space for that. I want us to do that with this sermon series. And so we're going to orient our hearts through this message today to what God wants to do over the next number of weeks. And so if you would join me, would you open the scriptures to Matthew chapter four today? Matthew chapter four, verses 23 to 25. I'm gonna have my friend Gammer come up and he's gonna help me translate Matthew chapter four, verses 23 to 25 for me. I lost track of the handheld. I'm new here. You have to excuse me. Can we use, got it. Thanks, brother. Thank you, sir. All right. Gamer, I'm going to read this in English, and if you would um, translate for me. Come on over here so the cameras can see you. After I'm done, then you can do this, yeah. Yeah, I should have prepared more for this, but, you know, I'm new here, so. I feel the same way. Yeah, okay, it's all right. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25 says this. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Matevos gluch chorsk sanirekis sanhing hamarnera. Jesus Vorch Galiliai Mech Patatvelov Sovrats Numed Nerans Jovaranerum Yev Karozumed Arkayutan Avetarana Yev Markans Mechi Amen Tesak Hivandutunera U Tsavera Bjishkumer Nera Hambava Taratsvets Amboch Sirayov Mek Yev Neram Motein Berum Bolor Tesaki Hivandutunerov Markans Vor Tanjvumein Amen Tesak Tsaverov Kam Tanjanknerov Nervumein Yev Divaharner U Lusnordner Yev Andamailutsner U Bjishkets Hisus Nerans Bolorin Եվ շատ մարդիկ նրա հետևից էին գնում Գալիլեից ու Տեկապոլիսից եւ Երուսաղեմից ու Հրեաստանից եւ Հորդանանի մյուս կողմից։ Thank you my brother. Thank you. Perfect. Armenia is one of the first Christian nations. We have a large 
Armenian contingent here in Burbank, it seems more than appropriate to worship God and understand that God is to be worshiped in more than just English. Seems a cool way to kind of start what we're doing, that God's heart is for the nations. Those nations are here in the city. It's interesting that Matthew places this sermon of Jesus in the very beginning of the book, the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. The truth is we don't know when Jesus gave this actual sermon. We actually don't know if this was one continuous sermon or this was a collection of smaller sermons. We just, we weren't there. Um, So we don't quite know, but we know that Matthew collected this together and put this together right at the beginning because for Matthew, this was an important part of understanding Jesus's message about the kingdom of God. And as Jesus begins his ministry, he is healing the afflicted, those suffering from diseases and pains, the demon possessed. Those with seizures that hit home for me because my son has a seizure disorder. And so those things, those, those grab my heart when I hear that Jesus is meeting those needs. And so the crowds are, are gathering around and they're excited, they're overwhelmed because no one in their lifetime had done healings and miracles or even taught the way that Jesus taught. And Jesus had just gathered people with him to walk with him. We call those disciples. He had this core team of people as he begins this new phase of ministry. And and, and, and here's what's incredible. He's not only teaching with spiritual power and authority, but he's also healing, which shows his power and authority over the physical realm as well. Most curiously, though, is Jesus' message is radically different from what they have heard the spiritual leaders of their day teach. Jesus sees them and he sees their hurt, their lostness, their feeling of separation from God. And he preaches this sermon to show how the kingdom of God meets their needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we see this holistic approach from Jesus, not just in how he healed and taught but in how the Sermon of the Mount unfolds as well. Now, some of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you may have heard parts of it, but few of us are are familiar with all of it, the entirety of it. And the reality is, is that the Sermon of the Mount is meant to be taken as a whole. And so often we think the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous part, the Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes are just the first few verses. And the sermon is actually all of chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew. And so if you're taking notes today, This is our first observation for the day. We know nothing about God or being a Christian in a true sense apart from the Bible. We know nothing about God or being a Christian in a true sense apart from the Bible. There are things that point to God like nature. The Bible even says nature points to God and yet we don't know who he is, his character beyond that unless we read the scripture, our highest authority. So when Jesus gives this sermon, it's imperative for us not just to listen, but to to listen with a sense of what are you trying to say? What is it that we are supposed to be understanding about who you are and who we are in light of what you've done by reading your word? So as we get into this over the next number of weeks, we're going to find, look, the truth is there are some difficult passages here. There are some hard things here. Things that challenge us, things that might anger us, things that we might disagree with. 
And any time that we come to a place in scripture where we disagree, the truth is, is that it's us that has to change, not scripture. And those are moments that we have to say, why is it that I'm struggling with this? What is it that God is trying to do in me that this is an issue? It's not natural or easy. And this is a big part of why we have to learn to do it together. This is why God gives us community and we're a part of community so that we can learn how to do that together. Pastor and author, one of my favorites, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, or as I like to say, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. (laughs) Someone out there right now is going, wait, is that the kid from Goonies? Are you really the kid? No, I'm I'm not, but it's okay. (laughs) Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a great and grand and perfect elaboration of what our Lord called his new commandment. His new commandment was that we love one another even as he has loved us. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a grand elaboration of that. If we are Christ's and our Lord has meant that word for us, that we should love one another even as he has loved us, here we are shown how to do it. He's referring to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a perfect picture of the life of the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew's gospel here is written primarily to a Jewish audience, which is why he keeps talking about the kingdom of God. And the Jews were awaiting this kingdom to be established. And the one who would establish it was the Messiah. And so they're waiting for Messiah to come. They believe that he would bring freedom from Rome, their oppressor. He believed that that he would establish a kingdom that would never be overtaken, that they would never be oppressed again. And so they always thought of this new kingdom being established as one that was physical, as one that was military, as one that was material, an external kingdom. I I want us to think about this in today's terms for just a second. The, The Jews are facing incredible hardship They've faced years and years of oppression. It seems like there is no hope. There is just, there's so much going on. I want us to put this in our context. I want you to imagine Jesus came in 2020. And I want us to think in the midst of all this, if Jesus came back and he saw, well, he always sees, but if if we saw Jesus come back and we say, God, what are you going to fix first? The division in our country, the strife, the inequity, the injustice, How about the loneliness, the isolation, the poverty, the the complete brokenness of our society in so many ways? COVID, sickness, disease. Which are you going to tackle first? And Jesus' response is, my kingdom is primarily an internal one. We need to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts first. And we go, wait, 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 Jesus, but there's so much that needs to be done. And Jesus says, this is more important. That's shocking. As much today as it was to the Jews. And so this understanding of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is really important to us as much today as it was then for us to realize that this kingdom is primarily within us, controlling the heart and our mind and our outlook instead of leading to great military power or overcoming all of the things that need to be fixed in the world, it is a poor in spirit kingdom. In other words, we're not told in the Sermon on the Mount, live like this and you'll become a Christian. But because we are Christians, God helps us to begin living like 
this. Jesus says, I want to do something in you that's, that's so much more impacting. Here's the thing. God's kingdom starts small and grows out. We see that in the fact that it started in, in this little tiny nation and it, and it grew out and it's expanded to the ends of the earth in the same way it begins in our heart. And as we are changed, as we begin to model who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in light of that, it begins to come out in the way that we live. And that's what changes community. That's what changes culture. We cannot legislate morality. It does not work. If you're taking notes today, this is the second observation for the day. By the way, if you didn't get a note sheet coming in, you'll see that from now on. Um, my wife said to make sure I have notes because she's a note taker. It's how she learns. And so you all get them too. That's how it's going to work. Uh, notes are important. Also, if you did not get communion on the way in, this is a communion day. So make sure that you grab that before this time. Just a side note here. Point two, the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be lived, not in parts, but as a whole. Not in parts, but as a whole. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Jones explains it like this. No part of the sermon can be understood truly except in light of the whole. There's kind of a logical sequence in this sermon. Not just that, but there's also a spiritual order and sequence. Our Lord does not say these things accidentally. The whole thing is deliberate. And therefore the whole sermon applies to us, all of it. This sermon is meant to correct our idea of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's meant to correct our understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. And see, God's ways of doing things are so often so different than our natural inclinations. This is where it really starts to get different, difficult. If, if we're honest, we don't always like all parts of the Bible. I, I don't like all parts of the Bible. It's hard sometimes. There's things that, that are not easy to deal with. I'll give you an example from this. I look at the Beatitudes and I think, blessed are the pure in heart. Man, that sounds awesome. I want to be pure in heart. That just seems like something I, I, I want to aspire to. I like that. I want to be pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Man, that sounds cool. Peacemakers. I mean, even at its lowest end, they named a Colt revolver a peacemaker, so peace through strength. That sounds, I mean, that sounds cool. But blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, no thanks. That's not something I naturally want to aspire to, to be meek. I mean, how many of us are running around going, yay, I get to mourn and be meek. That's awesome. Like Jesus went a little emo on there or something. I don't know what happened. But in God's kingdom, in God's economy, things are radically different. Different ways of doing things in our earthly kingdoms, different perspectives. And we can't pick and choose what we like from the sermon and go, okay, well, God, I want this or I want that. It all applies to us. And so here's the deal. We're either all in with Jesus or we're all out. We have to follow his words. We have to take it all together and go, Lord, I, I'm going to need your help on this one. I'm going to need your help being meek because that's not my natural thing to do. You take notes today. This is our third observation for the day. We can't live this sermon without God's help. We can't. There's no way to do this on our own. We cannot live this without God's help. But the great thing is, is that he always knew we couldn't. That's the beauty of who God is, is that he understood that this was not our natural inclination, that sin has broken us to the place where our natural response is what seems right to us. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in death. 
God has always been here to walk with us as he changes us from the inside out. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't tell us to go out of our lives in order to live a Christian life. It says this is how you live life and become more and more like Jesus. It does say that those who are apprenticing Jesus, those who are learning at the feet of the master, that our attitude must be different from that of those who are not apprenticing Jesus because our relationship with God is different and because we are utterly dependent on him. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a list of rules that we have to follow, but a set of principles that we follow. It's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law that is important. What do I mean? Take, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39 from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. This is another one of those wonderfully misquoted verses in the Bible. See, this doesn't mean that if somebody hits you in the face, you literally turn your cheek and say, thank you, sir. May I have another? In some ways, what Jesus is saying is actually much, much harder. He's saying, if someone harms you, do not try to get revenge. That's my job. Let God worry about the revenge let it go. Now, I'm not saying, and hear me, I'm not saying if you're abused, you stay there and you continue to be hurt. I'm saying you get safe and you have good boundaries, but you don't need to demand revenge from that situation. God is the one that brings justice. God is the one that brings revenge. If you have someone who's been unfair at work, you don't need to defend yourself. God is our ultimate defender. We want to let God be our justice and deal with them as he wants in his timing. Sometimes I'd rather just be hit in the face. Again, this is where it gets hard. This is the stuff we don't like, but this is what Jesus is saying, the kind of life that we must live as as apprentices of him. But it's also not just about us. If you're taking notes today, this is our fourth and final observation for the day that as people who live out the Sermon on the Mount, it not only changes us, but it changes those around us. And this is the best form of evangelism. Look, for those of you here who are not Christians, I I, want to speak to those who are Christians for just a moment. Family, we have not always done a good job of representing who Jesus is. Can, Can we agree on that? That so often our I love you, even in good intent, comes across as I hate you to those who don't know Jesus. So often we think that we need to be the mouth and we've forgotten to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we already have a mouth. Jesus is our spokesperson. Jesus is the one who has already said what needs to be said. What we need to do is model who he is to the people around us. And not with strings attached, not so that they'll come to our church or be like us or think in the same way or vote in the same way, but simply so that they can understand and know the God that loves them more than we ever even could. We have a responsibility to be the Imago Dei. Our first job that he called us to was to be representatives of who God is, how he loves, how he leads, how he cares for the people around him. And we have not done a good job of that. It's time that we do. 
It's time that we let our actions speak louder than our words and say, this is what it means for me to show you what it's like to love Jesus. This is what it means for us to say, Jesus cares about you in the way that I act towards you, in the way that I respond to you online, in the way that I speak to you when I'm frustrated, even the way that I drive when I have the Jesus bumper sticker on my car. (laughs) We need to act like Jesus. And as we change, people around us see more than we think they see. And as we begin to see Jesus take and do things in and through us, it's amazing that the testimony that that has is so much more powerful than the words that we say. It's so much greater an influence when people say, you used to be like this and now you're like this. What is it that's changed? Only Jesus. Only Jesus could do this in me. And evangelism is, is simply, instead of just trying to talk at people, evangelism is simply saying, this is who God is and what he's done for me personally. And that's the difference between talking at people and sharing with people. Some of us get freaked out by evangelism, but the reality is, is it's like this. If you see someone standing in the middle of the street and a semi is coming towards them, would you do anything about it? Or would you sit back and grab a bag of popcorn? We're dealing with eternity here and yet many of us don't feel the urgency to to see our communities come to know Jesus. We're afraid, but we're wasting our time talking about it if we can't live it. And this is really where we start the Sermon on the Mount. The last thing the world needs is another person claiming to be a Christian who has no change in their life whatsoever. We don't need big evangelistic campaigns or stadium meetings. If we actually lived out the gospel, people would see God as alive and powerful. Dr. Jones says this, if only all of us were living the Sermon on the Mount, people would know that there is a dynamic in the Christian gospel. They would know that this is a live thing and they would not go looking for anything else. They would say, here it is. And if you read the history of the church, you would find it has always been when men and women have taken this sermon seriously and faced themselves in light of Jesus's words that true revival has come. And then when the world sees the true Christian, it is drawn, it is attracted. And let us carefully study this sermon that claims to show what we ought to be. Let us consider it that we may see what we can be. He ends this quote with this prayer and I pray it for us as we go through the sermon together. God, give us grace to face the Sermon on the Mount seriously and honestly and prayerfully until we become living examples of it and exemplifiers of its glorious teaching. We're gonna head into communion at this moment. And communion is a 2,000-year-old tradition that Jesus established. There was two, two ordinances that Jesus left us with, two things he said, I want you to continue to do. One was baptizing and the other was communion. The Bible says that we are to take communion seriously. It's a moment where we stop and we reflect and we say, God, I am amazed at who you are and what you've done and the gospel identity that you've given me because of who you are and what you have done. And so this moment, as we take this simple juice and this simple wafer that comes in a disposable cup, I want us to remember that it's so much more than just grape juice and a wafer. This is our moment to say, Lord, I I remember. I remember what you've done and I reorientate my life back to you. 
I submit myself to you in this moment. And this is why if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, it's totally cool. We, we love you, but don't take that. That's really for those who are, are, um, are, are saying, Jesus, you are king over my life and I'm submitting to you. If you want that this morning, we would love to have you join us in the kingdom of God. We'd love for you to find somebody with a name tag on. We'd love to speak to me, one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you about that. But for today, just hold off taking it. No one will notice. It's not a big deal. For the rest of us, let's just make sure our heart is right as we do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do. You are such an incredible, amazing God. You have blessed us beyond what we can think or imagine. I pray in this moment you would help us to, Lord, remember, submit, obey, and move forward as your hands and feet the way that you've called us to. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.